Hey, y'all, thanks so much for listening to the show. Before we start, quick plug for another show, Up First. It's NPR's morning news podcast. Up First is about 12 minutes long, and it's produced and posted at 6 a.m. every weekday morning. The show makes you real smart, real fast, and I listen every day. You can hear Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, correspondent for NPR's Planet Money, Stacey Vanek-Smith, and the host of NPR's Rough Translation, Gregory Warner. All right, let's start the show. School spirit. Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. No theme music. Each week we start with a different song. I'll explain this one in a second. But first, as Aunt Betty said, so happy to have two rock stars here in the booth with me. Stacey Vanek-Smith from NPR's Planet Money team. Hi, Sam. Hello. And Gregory Warner, whose new podcast is oh so good. Hey there. I love how Aunt Betty said rough translation. Yeah. I, always, I always struggle on how to say the how title. How do you say it? You know, rough translation, but I... Rough translation. Yeah, you know, there's so many ways. There's so many ways. <laughs> um, that great podcast covers news and deep stories from all across the world, and it's great. Check it out. Um, how are you guys feeling today? Good. I'm excited. You, waited, you, waited, you had to wait a while to say good. You know, it's been kind of a week, uh, but I feel like all the weeks have felt like, we, I don't know, it was a long week. There was the eclipse. It feels like oh a lot Oh my God, that happened. feels like a month ago. I know. We'll I know. We'll talk more about that. Oh my God. So this song, have you guys heard this song before? No, but I like it. It's one of yeah. my favorite Kanye West songs. still be breathing. It's been over. I'm here for a reason. So it's a song called School Spirit, and it's from his first album, The College Dropout. And he talks about, well, the whole album's all about how he left college to pursue his career, which worked out for him. But my favorite lyric from this song, uh, he says, they said, oh, you graduated? Oh, you graduated. Anyway, I just love that lyric. So we're here in New York City today to tape this week uh, in NPR studios right off of beautiful Bryant Park. And I brought the song because a lot of folks are going back to school this week and this month. Oh, yeah. And I'm actually in this city to teach a radio class this week. So I've been thinking a lot about school and students and studying. And this song gets me in the school mode. So that's it. I was feeling that back to school, that that weather in the air just now. You yeah, know? yeah. You're just walking, and that dread. I, I always feel kind of dread when I s- smell the end of summer, and I feel it on my skin. I used to love yeah. going back to school. I maybe because I had the new I shoes, <laughs> yes. and I hadn't seen my friends all summer, and I was just ready to go. I know. I used to really like shopping for school supplies. Oh, well, yeah. My horror moment is wearing a bolas tie. No. Yes. It's seventh oh. grade. Wait, a Why would you, This is a is cowboy tie? Than yeah, a bolo. cowboy tie. String tie. Isn't that a bolo tie? Is it As called a, a Texan, bolo tie? It's called a, a bolo tie. Oh, you okay. said bolas? Yeah, bolo tie. A bolo tie. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't even, I can't even pull it off now. And I definitely couldn't pull it off Where in seventh from, grade. Where are you from, I, I grew up in New York. You were a, a New Yorker wearing a bolo tie. I it love was, it. It was just so wrong in so many ways. And did you get compliments uh, from the French teacher? Yeah, the oh, French teacher loved the New Yorker worse. wearing the cowboy tie. It's almost worse <laughs> if no one likes it than the French teacher. I know. That's the music. Uh, let's talk about how the week felt. So first, we'll start the way that we always do. I want us each to describe how this week felt in three words. You're up, Stacy. Okay, so the three words that I would use to sum up my feelings this week are upping the ante. 
Okay. Up in the ante because these three very different events happened. And I had strong feelings about all of them. The first is um, Amazon's takeover of Whole Foods was became official. Yeah. They just announced mm-hmm. that starting Monday, they're going to lower the prices at Whole Foods. I was just telling a friend this morning. I was like, that Monday when they lower those prices, it's going to be like Black Friday for yuppies. Yes. It's going to be insane. My cashew butter. <laughs> Now only $15. Yeah. So that's one thing. So that's one thing. thing? Uh, Then it gets a lot more serious. So then there's Trump threatening to shut down the government if Congress does not give him enough money for the wall. So Mexico was supposed to pay for the wall, but Mexico understandably... From day one, they said no. Decided that was probably not the best way for them to spend their money. My third thing is the announcement that Trump made earlier this week that there will be no more nation building in Afghanistan. We're Mm. like reinvesting in the conflict. It is the longest conflict in U.S. history. 17 years. Yeah. $700 billion. I didn't know it. Oh, my goodness. A lot of lives on both sides. I, I just hadn't quite realized that that had never ended. You know what I mean? I think a lot of Americans haven't realized that. I mean, the death toll, while horrible, uh, compared to other wars, has been much lower. Some, what, 2,400 U.S. troops have died. uh, And it's really easy to be an American that has not been personally touched by the war. Mm -hmm. Right. And also, they're just, it it isn't in the headlines all that often anymore. Exactly. Do you think the ante was upped? with that one or just continued? I think so, because it's going to be like a bigger investment of troops and money and also this idea that like this isn't nation building, this is officially a a conflict again. Felt like ratcheting things up. Yeah, right. Again. What are your three words? Okay, so my three words are burning without knowing. Oh, Oh, I like your three words better. That's (laughs) I think Gregory wins the three words. Does he win? That's really dark. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wins when retinal blindness is... uh... Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. So we began the week with the eclipse and a lot of warnings about... Oh, yeah, don't look at it. Don't look at it. That our president did. (laughs) That was a wonderful moment. It was, honestly, it was, you know what, though, like... I could totally see myself in a situation being like, if I just squint, I can see it okay. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right. I really will squint. Yeah. But, you know, the reason the retinal blindness happens is because the pain sensors are in your iris, but not in your retina. So your retina can just be smoking. Which one is the retina? What the retina is, is behind the eye. And so that's, I think, a metaphor for me. <laughs> of all of us right of now. Of how I felt. I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness. With, I mean, because look, because you. It just got dark. It got real dark. <laughs> I can't even see you guys anymore. Blindness. <laughs> okay. So look, we were told after the election, right, that politics would sort of temper down and governing would then raise, right? So that that's sort of the, the phase. We go through these more political periods and then we go through these more governing periods. But it, it feels like now the politics is just ever more intense and the political divide and also the political show, which just focuses all our attention as we are all focused on the eclipse. And you just wonder what is happening with the governing part. What is happening on the edges? Our collective retinas are smoking. Well, and that's the part of like without knowing thing. Because the federal government does a lot of things that, you know, just don't affect me. I just kind of hope that it's all going well. Yeah. And especially, I think, the diplomatic part of things. Because diplomacy happens far away. And um, all over. 
and all like over everywhere and just with back channels and all kinds of layers of bureaucracy and all kinds of things and it's just it's the least i mean it's very political but it's it's just it's so not something that i can pay attention to it's just something that is completely does not affect me in my daily life until some it's some, in your twitter feed well yeah, no yeah. until some act of terrorism happens or until some alliance is just frayed beyond or burnt Beyond recognition, I will now stop this dark message. Well, it's funny, though. I mean, like, just thinking about this idea that we're still burning. Yeah. uh, Seth Meyers said, I think recently, he said, we thought the election was a World Series of news, but it was just spring training. Like, this is just getting started. Uh, Things will be hectic and hairy, I'm guessing, for a while, right? And to be honest, I mean, the the right-wing media, I think they accuse the mainstream media, whatever you call it, the mainstream media, of doing that. I mean, they say it's not Trump's fault. It's the focus on Trump. But also the president is constantly bringing that attention on himself with every tweet and every statement. So it's both sides, you know. (laughs) You're just both sides, us. I got to both sides it (laughs) because I I, I do feel that we got to represent the the multiplicity of views. Yeah, yeah. So my three words are on and on. Because Uh, a lot of things that I saw in the news this week felt like these continuations in spite of news that might make you believe otherwise. mm -hmm. You know, and thinking about Afghanistan even, there is some shift, but we are still in a war that was continued by Presidents George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and now President Trump. I mean, there's other things where, like, things keep going on and on in spite of the news. Axios had some interesting writing about earnings for Uber. Um, everyone thought that their last few months, last year of really bad news, of yeah, sexual it's been harassment. Like a and a, it's been a mess there mess. with a total toxic workspace, mm-hmm. uh, workplace, rather. But the numbers are out. Bookings were up 17% in the second quarter. In this country? The number of global trips across the world rose 150%. Adjusted loss fell. Most of the metrics around Uber are actually up. And even like on the Hill, you look at Congress. Congressional leadership is publicly and openly fighting with Donald Trump. Yet and still, in spite of that, the GOP is still pushing tax reform, a thing that Republicans in Congress always push. Like some of this stuff... I just step back and say, huh, the world keeps spinning. One of us should make a reference to a physics formula right now, but I'm not sure which formula. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Every action has an equal and opposite, opposite reaction. reaction. I feel like yeah. Newton's involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> observed particle effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we're discussing the week that was. But thinking about next week, we're probably going to be hearing a lot about Hurricane Harvey, which is set to hit ground in Texas, my home state, Mm -hmm. this weekend. So to those listening, be safe. Those storms are no fun, and this one seems very serious. Don't drive in the rain. If you don't know how deep the puddle is and you don't know how how deep the puddle is, don't drive into it. That's all I'm saying. All right. Time for a quick break. And don't let people charge you $9 for a water bottle. That's actually illegal. (laughs) All right, let's hold right here for a quick break. We'll be back with Long Distance, where we call a listener and see what's up in their neck of the woods. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from WordPress.com. Creating your website on WordPress.com helps your customers find you, remember you, and connect with you. At WordPress.com, you'll find hundreds of beautiful designs, the ability to add a custom domain name, and features to make your business more visible online using the technology that powers 28% of all websites. 
Get 15% off your new website today at wordpress.com slash minute. We'd like to thank our sponsor who brings you this message, Discover Card, who alerts you if they find your social security number on any one of thousands of risky websites. Discover believes that there are some things that you just need to know. It's just another way Discover looks out for you, not just your account. And best of all, social security alerts are free for Discover card members. All you have to do is sign up online. Learn more at discover.com slash free alerts. Limitations apply. All right, we are back. Today on the show, we have Stacey Vanek-Smith from NPR's Planet Money and Gregory Warner, the host of one of NPR's newest podcasts. This is called Rough Translation. It's really good. Thanks. All right, it's time for a quick segment uh, that Brent thought up. It's called Scary or Nah. He has theme music. He has, he has theme music for everything. Oh, that's kind of great. Thanks. Don't be scared. I like it. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so this game is very simple. We talk about something from the week that was and decide whether it was scary or not. And this week we have a video. I believe Brent has sent you the video, Stacey. Okay. Let's... Um, I'll gather around Stacy's mic and okay. watch this together as a family. Okay. Okay, mm. 10 seconds long. Okay. Oh, I know this video. Have you guys seen it before? No. There's no sound. It's like a snake? It's a snake. A spiky snake? Uh, so this is basically a rough, grainy video of a snake. Uh, Taylor Swift released a few of these videos to her Twitter account this week in advance of the rollout of her new single. Um, I don't think it's scary. I think it's kind of cheesy. This is Taylor Swift. Are those the two choices? <laughs> scary and cheesy? You can say cheesy, yeah. Oh. So I... Taylor Swift had been accused of being a snake because of this weird feud she had with Katy Perry and this weird feud she had with Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. So it seems as if the video was a rebuttal to that and a new, darker side of Taylor Swift. I, but... I mean... For, uh, I don't know. I no, just I sometimes feel like Taylor Swift needs to realize that like everything that happens to her that she writes in her journal is not like there are. I don't know. No, say it. That, say I just okay. So I, <laughs> it's just like you know what? I'm sorry that you dated John Mayer and it didn't work out. Like. That has happened to like a hundred thousand other people. A hundred thousand other Mayer. people have dated John Mayer. That's actually a true fact. P.S. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor's new single out this week is called "Look What You Made Me Do." Some are already saying it sounds a lot like "Right Said Fred," but you be the judge. Um, go hear it elsewhere if you want to. I'm saying nothing more because Taylor Swift fans will slice you to death on Twitter. I know. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Nice it's knowing you, nice. Stacey. It's been really nice getting to work with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that said, Brent says the video is scary. But Brent, what do you know? He thinks the little flickers of static make it weird and Well, scary. it reminds me of The Ring. Do you remember Ooh. that book? Oh, yeah. Or, sorry, or that movie. movie where if you watch the video, then you die at the end. And it was flickery like Are that. Are you saying Taylor Swift is that? <gasps> Maybe if you watch her whole music video. <laughs> no, if you, are, if you are part of her life in any way, at the end you die. Or she'll just kill you in her album. Oh God. I'm not associated dead. with these two people. I actually don't know them, and I wandered in. Yeah, no, you were trying to, to give uh, some love to Taylor. I am Taylor, Taylor and <laughs> let's get that on the record. We are dead. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. All right. We'll shake it off. <laughs> okay, now it's time for a thing we do every week. It's called Long Distance. 
We call a listener out in the country and talk to them about what's going on in their neck of the woods. Today on the line, a caller from Atlanta, Georgia, Francisco. You there? Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, man, how are you? Happy Friday. Good. Happy Friday, Sam. I can't tell you, first of all, it's a real honor to talk to you. Big fan. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, man. I appreciate I've been it. Fo- dude, I've been following well. you since last year during the, uh, the election. You were awesome. You're a class act, bro. Oh, dude. Thank you so much. It made my day. Yeah. So Everybody needs a little bit of lying to every now and then, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm serious, though. <laughs> Thanks, man. So what do you do there in Atlanta? I work for uh, I work for a bank. I'm a banker, manage a financial center here. I'm also a reservist in the Marine Corps. Been in 20 years. Wow. Um, a dad, a husband, 17 years. So you know, I got two kids. So I got. How big, old are your kids? Uh, I got a 16 year old daughter, and then you know something got into me. I think it was because my little brother, I'm the oldest of three, had a boy four years ago, and then my sister had a boy the next year. I'm like, hey, I don't have a boy. So I talked to my wife and. We ended up trying, and we got a boy, and he's two now. So, wow! Yeah, I don't know what that sounds. Thinking. Either fun <laughs> or crazy making. It's awesome. It's, yeah. it's okay. All the I got a two-year-old okay. myself. I can feel it. He's, he's a blessing, and thank God he looks like my wife, so he's super cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also forgot to say, uh, my friends Stacy and Greg are on the phone too. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Francisco. Hey, so, Stacey. Hey, Greg. As a Marine, did you spend some time in Afghanistan? Um, I spent some time in Afghanistan, about four and a half months from 2000, August of 2012 to like November. And, but I was there representing the Marine Corps, the Logistics Command, because I was working for them on active duty. But I went overseas representing them as a contractor. So huh. it was a pretty interesting situation where I actually got to do the work of a Marine. And everyone knew that I was a major in the Marine Corps, so I got a little more respect than the average contractor. Because then he was like, oh, this guy's a contractor, but he's, he's a Marine. Francisco, were you in Lashkarka in Helmand? I, I was aboard uh, uh, Camp Levenek. So oh, it was okay. a big, uh, I, was, I was doing logistics work. Now, that's what I do in the Marines as a logistics officer. So I was tracking and facilitating the throughput of all the Marine cargo that was coming out of Afghanistan as we were doing that drawdown. Yeah. People forget, you know, uh, there's, I think, more contractors in Afghanistan than U.S. soldiers, right? Some 25,000 contractors. And what, like 8,000, maybe soon to be 12,000 U.S. troops. And a lot of contractors like Francisco were uh, were former military, and now they're, they're making more money as private contractors, but they don't have that protection. Yeah. So, Francisco, what did you make of uh, the president's announcement, I guess, of a new policy for Afghanistan? He's going to believe to be send about 4,000 more troops there. Uh, he publicly said that he's not about nation building. But he also withdrew any kind of timeline for the U.S. leaving that country. How did that sit with you? So, and again, I have to preface it because I did speak to my uh, public affairs office. Like, hey, I'm going to be on this podcast. I want to get in trouble. Oh, yeah. That was smart so of you to I do. <laughs> yes. I have to preface it by saying, obviously, I'm not speaking for the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, but as a, as a Marine, you know, as an individual, as somebody who could potentially be called up and things of that nature, I really liked the president's speech and his tone. Uh, I've not always agreed with, you know, everything regarding, you know, policies and whatnot, but I really like the pillars, as he called them. Uh, I like that there's no arbitrary date, because you can't tell the enemy, hey, we're going to fight until this time, and then we got to go. I liked the fact that he did kind of call out Pakistan a little bit. You know, Osama bin Laden was there under their nose. So it's good to be able to call that out, but then to also say, hey, we appreciate the sacrifice you have been making, because they've been fighting along that that border, and they've been taking a lot yeah, of hits. Yeah, and yeah. Um, 
you know, you've got the idea of uh, expanding or, you know, uh, the autonomy to the military. Um, that's important. So, I mean, I liked it. So, Francisco, having worked th- there in two capacities as a soldier and as a contractor, I'm wondering, like, what was your impression of, of Afghanistan when you were there? Um, it's actually pretty, pr- it's very pretty in Helmand province. And for the record, um, yeah, I don't want to be mean or anything, but Marines were not soldiers. <laughs> oh, I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. I'm it's so okay. sorry. Okay, no problem. People always, you know, and I, I, get I appreciate that. the just, correction. I really yeah, do. Yeah, no worries. I'm a Marine, always a Marine, not a soldier. But still, to answer your question, um, it's a very pretty place in August uh, to run three miles in the morning. I would get up every morning, and it was like 60 degrees, mountains, you know, out in the background, heat waves and, you know, sandstorms and things of that nature. But it's almost like being on Tatooine. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big Star Wars fan, by the way. Yeah. What do you have fun planned for this weekend with you and your wife and your two kids? Um, so this weekend, taking my daughter tomorrow morning at 07 to the DMV. She's going to get her permit. So yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh, yeah. that's no. great. Listen, my yeah. parents <laughs> were so scared to death to let me drive anything they owned. So I hope that your daughter does very well, but I'm guessing that you must be feeling some dread at that. You know, she's not going to drive uh, on the road probably for about a good month. I'm going to take her to an empty parking lot, and we're just going to learn how to drive. <laughs> yeah. <in a> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a good dad. Thanks. I appreciate it. And then, you know, take, uh, I'll take my son over to the splash pad over there where we live in Atlanta. Oh. Um, and uh, and I want to check out the Assassin's Bodyguard movie. That looks hilarious. So, I Which was, one is uh, that? That's the one with uh, Ryan Reynolds and uh, Sam Jackson. Oh, that does look yeah. good. You, you know what? You know what sold me on it was when I heard the uh, the bodyguard. Uh, uh, theme oh, when song. they sing, I will always love you. Oh, I was really. I'm a little laughing. Oh yeah, I was laughing yeah. out loud and kind of sad at the same time because it was maybe a little too soon. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I hope you enjoy Splash Pad, the DMV, and that movie, um, <laughs> Francisco. Thank you so much for calling and for listening. Have a really great weekend, man. You too. Thanks again for your time, guys. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Listeners, we want to talk to you for this segment. If you want to give us a call, or us to give you a call, rather, and talk about anything going on where you live, drop us a note. Tell me what's going on at samsanders at npr.org. You know, it's so interesting with that call. Whenever I talk to anybody about Afghanistan, no one knows a way out. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a pullout feels really scary to me because the the length of time we've spent there means so much contact with um, a kind of educated Afghan who's now adopted so many Americanisms and American sort of values. I mean, I think if there were more exchange programs and more chances for Afghans hmm. to study here, there could be more of a of a middle class that could take over that country. But it's it's very tough. A problem that will not be solved in this booth in the next hour. Mm. So we're going to move on. <laughs> we need another hour. Yeah. And I hate even calling Afghanistan the problem. Yeah. You know? Because once yeah. you do, it's, it's yeah, there is no solution. Now it's time for the part of the show, the meat of the show, as I call it, where we uh, swap some stories, some new stories from the week that was. Um, you both have some really informative, deep stuff. Mine's kind of light, so I'm going to go first. You got it. This week... Something on the internet turned 10. Do you guys know what it is? Turned 10 years old. 10 years old. Uh, YouTube? I don't know. Do you use it on Twitter? No, Netflix is older than 10. Hashtags? Yes! Really? (gasps) Hashtags turned 
10 this week. Mm. Oh. Uh, this is the pound sign that you put oh, before yeah. a word or a phrase, and then it allows your tweet to be searchable with other tweets with the same uh, hashtag. Over the last 10 years, they've become much more than just a classification tool on Twitter. They're part of the language. They're part of the culture. People speak in hashtag. I know. You don't like that. Well, <laughs> keep going, keep going. Sorry. Um, so the hashtag was actually started on Twitter. On August 23rd, 2007, by a product designer and tech entrepreneur named Chris Messina. He tweeted, quote, how do you feel about using pound for groups, as in pound bar camp? And he was referencing bar camp, which is this loosely organized network of people who do tech conferences and Internet stuff. But he wanted to take this pound symbol that had been used in other online forums for techie type people and take it to Twitter. So I called Chris Messina up and was like, how did this go? And he told me about the day that he walked into Twitter's headquarters and said, hey, this hashtag thing should be a thing. But I guess they were um, dealing with uh, kind of a house on fire situation where, you know, Twitter was constantly down, constantly crashing back then. And so, of course, this random kid coming in off the street um, with yet another proposal to make Twitter more complex probably didn't seem like the most um, interesting idea at the time. And so... The impression that I got was like, look, like, we're not going to do this. You know, that's, that's way too nerdy. Um, but if you want to run with it, by all means, you know, take it and go with it. We've got more important things to do. They were like, get out, dude. Unbelievable. Way I too mean, nerdy, too. Unbelievable. Get <laughs> too <critique>. nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a good thing? That's like next level. Yeah. But how does he feel about the hashtag becoming... Like, almost its own language. Yeah, so he's really geeked about it, especially the language part. Uh, and I asked him, though, I was like, do you regret not trying to in some way monetize this? Yeah. And he said, no, I just wanted to help propel Internet culture. He was happy to see, you know, how far it's gone. But but in thinking about how the hashtag has changed language, um, I've been obsessed with this thing. Like, because... It's almost like the hashtag allows you to do a little bit more with every sentence and like every statement. And he has some thoughts on that. What a hashtag does in a tweet or in a photo is a, is a kind of, you know, subtext, a kind of aside. You know, it's sort of like a... It's like a side whisper. Exactly. It's a side whisper, right? And so the hashtag kind of provides this great verbal trick to express something more that you couldn't have expressed before. So to, to, to me, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. Like, this demonstrates the plasticity of language. He's just excited about it. And he's like, so where it's excited gone. about That's it. That's really yeah. interesting. Like one of the things that I love uh, recently is the development and the proliferation of so-called hashtag rap. Do you guys know about this? No. So, you know, in rap, rappers use a lot of similes and metaphors. Mm-hmm. And Kanye West first coined the term hashtag rap. And he said it's like using a simile or a metaphor, but you lose the like or the as. So the last word becomes kind of a punchline. For instance, like, what's an example? Okay, so Kanye West raps in his song Barry Bonds. Here's another hit, Barry Bonds. Or Drake rapped once, I'm swimming in the money, come find me, Nemo. Oh, find Nemo. yeah. Or, uh, it's like an implied hashtag. Yes, or like Ludacris, my oh. favorite one. In one song of his, he, he raps, coming down the street like a parade, Macy's. Hashtag learning. <laughs> We're hashtag blessed. We are hashtag blessed. Yes, yes, yes. I love hashtag blessed. <laughs> Stacy, you're next. Well, hashtag bringing the room down. <laughs> let's let's go to North Korea. Okay. <laughs> so this week, uh, I've been thinking a lot about North Korea. Obviously, um, it's been in the news a lot because of Trump's kind of Twitter. He's playing chicken on Twitter. 
Kind of. Yeah, for lack of a better word, yes. He's playing chicken on Twitter. And also North Korea's been testing some missiles. Oh, they're playing chicken back, for oh, real. Oh, yeah. And they're, it looks like their technology's made big leaps mm-hmm. in ways that are terrifying. But I've been looking at their economy. Um, for, Which everyone here, I think, would believe is bad. Yes, because, you know, that so many trade restrictions. The state runs everything. And, you know, they've had enormous famines and the state can be very stingy about giving money out. Yeah. So as I was looking into this, what was so interesting was last year, North Korea's economy had like a little boom. Uh, it hmm. grew almost 4%. That's actually a lot. Wow. That's a lot. That's what Trump wants the U.S. economy to grow. The U.S. economy is in a completely different solar system. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. way bigger. But still, I mean, it, it's a lot of growth. And their international trade went way up. Um, Who trades with them? With Ukraine. A lot of countries uh, don't trade with them, right? Right, exactly. China is their biggest trading partner okay. by far. Yeah. Russia trades with them. Mexico trades a little bit with them. And there are all these companies that do some business in North Korea. It's obviously... Uh, a lot of companies don't really want to talk about it, but there's an Austrian coffee shop, which has opened up a bunch of little cafes in, in the capital, Pyongyang. There are coffee shops in North Korea. There is apparently quite a little specialty coffee shop boom, and foam art has become very popular. Wait. I know. Th- there's been a little, like, th- some people have started calling it Pyonghattan, which is, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Pyong Brooklyn? Uh, some people. Yeah, some people. <laughs> real estate brokers in Pyongyang. <laughs> in Pyongyang. I Are mean, they going to start naming neighborhoods for real estate right. purposes there? I mean, the overall population is still, it has one of the lowest, uh, I mean, it's one of the most restrictive economies in the world. I, I think the average person makes something like $600 per year. So oh it's very, I mean, most people, I think, live live in poverty. So not everyone is going to the coffee shop. Right. But there has been a little entrepreneurial. When Kim Jong-un came into to power, he said like one of the things he wanted to do was kind of make life better. And in a for controlled people. economy, the, the prices can be lower, too. I mean, so, so $600 could, could get you more. Right. Yes, exactly. And, and I mean, most of the people in this little sort of merchant class that's emerging are directly tied to the government. They're running businesses for the government and and things like that. But there is a little economic boom happening in the capital Hmm. that's really fascinating. It's so interesting hearing you talking about the economy and the people of North Korea. I realize all of the news that I've consumed about North Korea over the last several months has been either about its nuclear program or its leader, and that's it. And I think in America, with this kind of coverage, it's easy to forget that those countries have economies and people, too. It's also the double-edged sword of sanctions, too, right? I mean, the way in which sanctions, and we see this in in Russia, we see this in other places, uh, sanctions punish everybody. It's really hard to target them just at the quote-unquote bad guys or the ones you want to hurt. And so that's why, and we've seen this in Iran, sanctions also create a backlash and, and popular support for the dictator against the West imposing sanctions because it is seen as killing this this economy that's, yeah. that's growing and yeah. it's seen like bullying. And I think often the people who suffer the most are the people who don't have the resources. I mean, I think the elite have lots of options. Greg, what you got? Okay, so um, my story is, is one that we just did, yeah. actually. And uh, I want to just pause really quickly. If you have not listened to this first episode of Rough Translation... It is so fascinating. It's great. I mean, like, so go ahead. Well, <laughs> actually, that's a perfect lead-in. Yes. Right? So um, backdrop. So basically, Rough Translation is about following a conversation that we are having in the United States, but seeing how it's playing out in some other corner of the world. And hopefully 
sort of finding a less U.S. centric yeah. view on things, maybe yeah. getting a perspective shift from that. So we actually, uh, Lulu Garcia Navarro, who is the Brazil correspondent, uh, who was the former Brazil correspondent, reported a very interesting story in Brazil for NPR that uh, we started wanting to follow up on. And the story was about the fact that Brazil, which is uh, has historic, deep, deep racial inequalities, basically on every metric, who gets a job, health metrics, who gets to go to school. Uh, so Brazil put in a, a quota and said that, look, we're going to give more jobs to black Brazilians. And to point out, like Brazil has a lot of black people. People forget that Brazil brought in more slaves in the slave as trade yeah. as America did. Right. And there's been way more uh, interracial marriage. So there's just uh, most people actually have some African roots mm -hmm. in Brazil. Yeah. And yet there's this huge racial divide. So they put in this program and said, OK, more jobs are going to go to black people. Like and government also, jobs? Uh, government jobs, which are a huge deal in Brazil. Jobs for life good salaries, good benefits. There was also a quota for, for university students, so federal universities, uh, more blacks. Uh, and this is not like affirmative action in the United States. This would be more like a quota. The sticky point came, though, when they had to figure out, well, who gets to qualify? And at first you would just say, I'm this, I'm that. Right, you just check a box, like you do here. But well, there was some racial fraud. <laughs> there was the accusation of racial fraud that white people were checking the box. Well, there's this moment in the episode where there's this photo of this group of, is it medical, medical students. students that are supposed to be a diverse class because of the quotas. Right. And like, everyone's white. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, where are the black ones? That's right. There's one black guy in the photo, but and he's, he's a, an exchange student <laughs> from Africa. Right. <laughs> so... Right. So and this is a historic opportunity. And all of a sudden, white people are coming in and taking these spots. That was the perception. But the so, fix is crazy. Well, the fix was these panels of judges, which are called anti-fraud commissions. So literally, if you want one of these jobs or these university slots, you have to go before a panel and prove that you're black. And they'll look at things like not just your skin tone, but how wide your nose is, how curly your hair is. Whoa. They'll ask you probing questions That's... about your blackness. It's crazy. I asked them, well, you know, so how do you figure that out. I mean, how do you judge? And they said, no, it's not about objective characteristics. I mean, there have been some terrible things published about. But the they do look about the, the physical. But it's all physical. physical features. It's all phenotype. Right. They look at you and they just they have to look at you like a racist would look at you. Would I be black? Oh, my there? God. You would be black. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> I'm not an expert in that. <laughs> Take out the yes, Brit. Listen to me. I just, I just joined the, I just, no, I just joined the, the commission right I like there. The yes. I was interviewing this guy, and he was saying to me, he said, "Oh, I have a black guy's nose, white guy's hair, and black guy's lips." And right. then who was the one guy who compared himself to two famous people at the same time? Right, same guy. He said he was like uh, 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 Andy Garcia, but also looked like Usher. <laughs> Like, no. It's like if they had a baby. You can't, you can't be both. So if you hear somebody talking about this, you know, I have a black guy's nose and white guy's hair or something. If I tell you, oh, that guy's a white guy in Brazil, then you hear it in a certain way. But if I tell you he's a black guy in Brazil, then it, it changes it and you you hear that differently. I mean, you hear the right to say that differently. And then if I say, well, no, he describes himself neither as black, neither as white. He's this middle category, yeah. pardo, which basically means brown, mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of times means mixed. Like, how does he, forget about us judging him, how does he look in the mirror and kind of figure out, okay, well, now that Brazil has drawn this line and say that 
once there's a quota and you're either qualify for it or you don't, mm -hmm. do I qualify and will others see me as what I think I am? Yeah. How do people feel in Brazil feel about these panels of people saying well, so they're, what your race is? They're offended by them in a completely different way than I expected they would be offended by. The idea that someone would look at you and judge your race, that is kind of very normal in Brazil. But what they are offended by is the idea that I need to be anything, mm -hmm. that I need to be black or I need to be white. And some and of the work is trying to convince dark-skinned people that they should claim blackness. Because that's the only way forward. Yeah. To have that group identity, to push as a group for fairness. Yeah. And what I loved about this episode in the podcast is that you're telling Americans and Westerners, a lot of people see these very basic things differently, period. And I'll never forget the first time I spent some time abroad. It was so hard for me to wrap my head around the idea of black people being black outside of the African-American context. Yeah. You just never thought of black people besides anything but American black people. And then I was in South Africa and I was like, oh, they're black too, but different. And hearing your episode like brought that all back to me. Anyways, it was so good. It was so awesome. Well, and Sam, one of the, one of the best advices advices sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. The, the best advice you gave for like an early draft that you heard of this episode is you said, you know, you need to make sure we understand that there is some serious racism in a major way in Brazil. So that this color, I don't want to call it color confusion, but color fluidity mm -hmm. does not feel like a paradise. Or like a yeah. utopia. Like right. there's still an anti- and a, a, an anti-dark skin bias. Huge. I mean, way more. I mean, the number of young black men who are being shot by police in Brazil is worse than anywhere else except a war zone. Mm. So wow. at, from the 50,000 foot, like if you look like at Brazil from afar, you can see the disparity, huge, huge racial disparity. There's no doubt about it. But then on the individual level, it's so confusing to know where you stand. Yeah. It's this episode... Everyone listening to the sound of my voice, stop playing this podcast. No, no. <laughs> Go listen to episode one of Rough Translation. Um, I don't want us to give away the whole episode, so we're no. going to stop it there. Let's stop but it there, yeah. It is, how would I say fascinating in Portuguese? I don't speak Portuguese, so I talk. Okay. <laughs> it's fascinating. I don't know. <laughs> I appreciate you gesturing Obrigado. to me. Do I look like That's I... the one word I can say. Obrigado. I love it. Okay. Time for a quick break. When we come back, we'll play a game that one of you will win. Oh, Yes. I don't know why I just got so excited. Because you're going to win, obviously. <laughs> yeah. How do you know that? Because you we, always beat me. We will yes. also <laughs> we'll also have our listeners tell us the best things that have happened to them all week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is committed to helping employers build great companies by making it easy to find and hire top talent. Using advanced matching technology, ZipRecruiter actively connects employers with qualified candidates in any city or industry nationwide. In fact, 80% of jobs on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just one day. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash minute. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We are back here at NPR New York with Gregory Warner, international reporter for NPR and host of NPR's Rough Translation, and Stacey Vanek-Smith from NPR's Planet Money. She, the hater of Taylor Swift. Oh, my gosh. I'm kidding. No, I didn't even no. want to bring that back. I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> edit that out. Yeah, yeah. I won't have a cubicle made anymore. <laughs> move and change my name. Uh, before we get to the game called Who Said That, I want to make a quick plug, an announcement. At the end of this episode, we have a little conversation for you to hear, uh, a little something extra this week. I talked with two legendary hip-hop DJs who happen to have a show on NPR now, Stretch and Bobito. They told me all about their new show, What's Good. The show is called What's Good. And it's good. Uh, you may have heard some promos for it on this show, but I wanted to give you guys a little sample of what it's like to talk with them and to listen to them. It's a party. They're really fun. Uh, stick around the end of this episode. You'll hear a shout-out about their show, a conversation about Stretch and Bobito. Also, fun fact, on their show next Wednesday, they've got Stevie Wonder. Really? Mm. I know. Is he going to be in this office? I think it's already been recorded, Stacey. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. They have a great title for their podcast, too. What's good? All right, now it's time for a game. Lightning round. Moving quickly. Okay. The game is called... Ooh, hey, man, man. <laughs> I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three today, and the winner gets absolutely nothing. Well, bragging rights. Yes, jinx. Gregory and I share a cubicle wall. That is not nothing. (laughs) I'm going to hear about this. First quote, we've gotten past bigger issues, but you brought my family into it. Now it's a problem with me. That's a real, real problem. Who said that? It's an ongoing feud in popular music but not Katie and Taylor. It's two guys who've been feuding for a while who used to be friends. I feel like I know this. I remember you've brought my family into it. They're rappers. Um, J. Jay-Z? Yes. Jay-Z? Yes. Kanye and Jay-Z. They've been feuding for years. And this week, Jay-Z... They're like the two most famous. I know. And they worked together. I could have just actually guessed. It's okay. Name the most famous rappers you can think of. So they used to work together and were really close and their families were close. But they had a falling out. And Jay-Z talked about it this week. And he basically says, after Kanye West dissed Jay-Z's family on stage during a concert last year, it was over. After that concert, Kanye was hospitalized, canceled a tour. Um, But, yeah, that's when things really went south. I thought Kanye was upset because, um, like, Jay-Z and Beyonce didn't really seem to like Kim very much. That's what I've heard, too. Like, they they were kind of not excited about that match. They weren't Team Kim. Like, Taylor Swift's not Team Kim. Yeah. Bring the full circle. I'm I'm in good company. (laughs) Next quote. I'm still trying to go. Like, not honorary. Full-blown, you dig? Can someone help me sign up? Who said that? It's another rapper, actually. This is difficult for me and Gregory. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I've been in podcast world. (laughs) Should I just tell you guys? It's Chance the Rapper. Really? Yeah. Chance the Rapper this week tweeted about going to school. He had talked before about going to Clark Atlanta University, uh, an HBCU in Atlanta. And this week he just said, who can help me go? Which is weird to say because, like, you're Chance the Rapper. You can call them up. Anyways, once he tweeted this. Then they come to Clark Then Atlanta, they call you up. Yeah, right? Well, Clark Atlanta tweeted back. Let's make it happen. And then another HBCU in Atlanta, Morehouse, they tweeted back and said, Morehouse is an even better house to call home. Oh. Welcome home, my brother. We would love to have you in ATL. There's a college bidding war for Chance the Rapper. Can you imagine the kid who gets 
paired up in a dorm with Chance the Rapper. He will not stay in the dorm. Oh. <laughs> you think he'd stay in the dorm? Yeah, That's you're right. Blown. He's not going But that would be amazing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Chance, if you go to school, tell me where you're going, and I'll enroll back in school to be your friend. Yeah, college. me too. <laughs> <laughs> Last quote. It is inherently dishonest to claim to be a single gender organization while simultaneously endeavoring upon a co-ed model. Who said that? Another feud between two big historic organizations. Read it one more time. It is inherently dishonest to claim to be a single gender organization while simultaneously endeavoring upon a co-ed model. Is it against the National Organization for Women? Younger women, like girls. Girl, Girl Scouts? Scouts? You both got it together. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on, guys. Oh, yay. This is officially a draw. Uh, but yet... The We're gr- like, it's a draw for the bottom, though. It's a I draw know. for worm level. I know. I have been thinking in recent weeks, I got to, like, make the quotes easier. Because there's been a few weeks now where, like, no one knows. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. that actually so makes don't me feel, feel better. Bad. Don't and feel bad. Not, like, a complete cultural... <laughs> Moron. I knew going in I was a culture moron, so I don't feel any different. It's all good. So this was... I had illusions. This is a feud between the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts. Uh, the national president of the Girl Scouts, Kathy Hannon, sent that in a letter to her counterpart, Randall Stevenson, who was the head of the National Boy Scouts. And in the letter, the Girl Scouts basically say that the Boy Scouts are trying to steal girls, trying to recruit girls. So the Boy Scouts are trying to find ways to do more co-ed programs. Basically, like, if you have a son in the Boy Scouts but also have a daughter, they want to find a way for your daughter to do stuff with them, too, because the whole family is going to be out there the anyway. Boy Scouts do cool stuff. So, like, your daughter could do a boating trip or a thing with the troop. But there's drama over it because both of these groups, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, are seeing their numbers go down. So mm-hmm. there's scarce resources and competition. Okay. Were you guys Boy Scouts? For, like, a month and a half. No. I was a Girl Scout, and I was always jealous of the Boy Scouts. Being a Girl Scout is... Oh, man. (laughs) Boy Scouts learn wilderness skills, and Girl Scouts learn how to sell cookies. I'm sure you learned more than that. You guys learn how to camp and tie knots. Like, the Boy Scouts do cool stuff. They go on hikes. How far did you go in the Girl Scouts? Well, it's an interesting (laughs) story because my troop leader ended up being a Wiccan, and... We were doing weird rituals, and some of the parents complained, no. and our troop was dissolved. <laughs> That's true. Wait, do you remember some of the rituals? Um, yeah, she was like burned sage in a shell. <laughs> oh my god, no. there's a patch for that. <laughs> the burning sage patch. I thought it was cool, but you know, it was. Now I understand so much about. I know. You, I know. <laughs> okay, well, you guys tie on the game. Congrats. We're almost done, guys. I'm officially blacklisted by the Girl Scouts. And Taylor and Swift Taylor, fans. That, which is, yeah. Just <laughs> leave. Just leave the country. I know. I'm going to have to leave the country. You guys are almost done, I promise. You've been troopers. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks. So, before we go, though, a plug for Tuesday's episode. You may have heard of Gawker. You yes. may have heard of the trial they had against Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Uh, you may Very have heard about how that trial ended up shutting Gawker down. Yeah. There's a new Netflix documentary all about that case. The film is called Nobody Speak, Trials of the Free Press. 
It's about the future of journalism and whether wealthy individuals can control that future. So I talked to the guy who made that movie, Brian Knappenberger, and I also talked to NPR's own media correspondent, y'all's friend, my friend, David Folkenflik. Uh, David's actually in the movie, and he followed the Scott case very closely. So check your feed for that on Tuesday. It's a really interesting episode uh, that gets into some challenges you might not know newsrooms are facing. Tuesday, check it out. With that, let's end the show as we always do. Each week, we ask listeners to send us a recording of them sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage them to brag. We have some here. Let's take a listen. Hi, Sam. This is Steve from Boise, Idaho. On Sunday, we packed the rig and drove into the Idaho backcountry. Now, I'm probably speaking on behalf of the millions of those who would say this is the best thing that happened to them all week, but I think my kids summarize it pretty well. Take a listen. Wait, Totality, guys. Totality. Check it out. Oh, they're seeing the eclipse. Can we look at Check, it, Yes, look, look, no, look. Can we look? Yes. Yeah, you can look. What more. the heck? That is beautiful. Holy. <laughs> oh, my God. Hi, Sam. This is Beverly. I'm 30 years old, and I met my father for the first time this week. Wow. And it went well. It was weird, but but good. Oh, wow. And it's definitely the best thing that happened to me this week. So the best thing that happened to me this week was starting my second year as a full-time college student. Congrats. I just picked up my wife from her first day of classes. My kiddos went off for their first day of third and fifth grade. My daughter, Arya, who's three years old, is going to go to preschool. Aww. My five-year-old son, Harry, started kindergarten. Hey Sam, this is Arturo from the Bay Area. And the best thing that happened to me this week was that I became a published author in a scientific journal. Congratulations! One of my best friends biked over a hundred miles just to see me on my birthday. This coming Tuesday, my dad is naturalizing as a U.S. citizen. I started vet school. I started my first day as a company member in a professional ballet company. Wow! With the Kansas City Ballet today. This week, I successfully kept my phone on airplane mode for three days. Yes. Um, and it was just great. I didn't think I could do it. Yes. That's awesome. Three whole days without news in 2017. On Saturday, I'm going to tell my husband that I'm pregnant and we're <gasps> finally going to be parents. I'm so excited. Um, but if this makes it into your montage, what the heck? Hi, Nguyen. You're going to be a daddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, gosh. Sam. This is Efrain. I live in Seattle. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I was able to come all the way back home to Capilla de Guadalupe in Mexico to see my grandmother. She was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer. And it was just so sweet to be able to come back here and see her and see her face when she saw me coming to the door. It was just so great to be able to spend some time with her. Hey Sam, my name is Stephanie. I'm calling from Hazlitt, Michigan, just outside of the Capitol. The best thing that happened to me all week is that my husband and I finally received an adoption referral for the baby girl that we've been fostering for the last seven months. We knew we wanted to adopt her from the moment we met her. She was born addicted to opiates and abandoned at the hospital. She doesn't have a legal name. Her birth certificate lists first name not recorded. And I am so excited that we are one step closer to getting to be her parents and having a name listed on her birth certificate, our little Lillian Marie, who we love so much and is doing so well. Thank you so much. And you have a great week. Thanks for listening. Hope you're having an awesome birthday week. Thanks. And bye. It gets me every time. I really like your listeners. Yeah. 
I want to do thank yous for all those voices you heard. Uh, thank you to Steve and his family for that amazing Eclipse audio. I loved that. that. So those kids are the best. I know. Thanks to Beverly. Thanks to everyone headed to school. Dorinda, Ashley's wife, Jen's kids, Parts' daughter, Kendra's son. Uh, thanks to Arturo, Irene, Lisa, Kyra, Cameron, Veronica. Thanks to Ephraim and to new moms, Leslie and Stephanie. And I also think this is the first time that we had a pregnancy announced in our show. That was awesome. That was pretty so good. Awesome. That's just Congratulations, beautiful. you guys. Like baseball stadium level. Yeah. I know. It's like the Jumbotron. <laughs> um, Brent and I listen to all of these that come in. Uh, we wish we had time to play them all. We do a lot of crying at our cubicles throughout the week, but it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> know that when you hit send on those emails, it lands in our inbox, and we do hear it. And thank you all for sharing those. If you want to share your best thing all week, you can do that at any time throughout the week. Just record yourself. Email the file to samsanders at npr.org. All right. Cue the Kanye. We're done. Alpha step, omega step, you guys are great. I learned so much. I learned Thank you. things. It's so fun. It's so fun. Yes. Thanks, Sam. It's really great. This week, the show was edited by Uri Berliner and Jeffrey Rogers and produced by Brent Bachman. Um, all right. Refresh your feed Tuesday morning for Brian Knappenberger and David Folkenflik talking about Gawker and Hulk Hogan and threats to journalism from all kinds of places. Um, and right now, stick around after this, after Kanye, to hear my chat with Stretch and Babito about their new show, What's Good. Uh, Stacy, Greg, thank you guys. Kanye, thanks for being you. Let's go, um, let's get a drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting on an airplane in a few hours. So you can. I'm ready. Yes. I hate it there, I hate it there. Everything I want, I gotta wait a year, I wait a year. graduated at the top of our class. I went to Cheesecake, he was up for the month and waited there. So first, tell folks who you are. I am Adrian Bartos, known to the world as Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. And my name is Bob Garcia, a.k.a. Bobito, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love, repping NPR for the first time uh, in my life. Uh, uh. Together, you guys are Stretch Bobito, yeah. famous, amazing legends of hip-hop radio who are now doing a new show with NPR. I listened to the first episode with Dave Chappelle and a cameo by Miss Erica Badu. It was amazing. For folks that haven't heard it yet, what is the show? The show well, is... Well, hold on. Donald Rawlings is also on that first he episode is. as well. He is. And he was great. Him. He was... He kind of stole a couple of Kind of in love with... Yeah. Also kind of in love with Erica Badu, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> he was really into work. her. I wanted to work. <laughs> the show... The show's called What's Good? Yes. With Stretch and Bob and... Stre- Stretch and Bob Bobito. Excuse me. Get it right. Get it right. Excuse me. Robertino. <laughs> and... Uh, Bartosini. <laughs> And, you know, the show is a, is a conversation between Bob and me and a guest in the case of... Uh, three of, guests this right, first we, episode. Right, we, we, were, we had a lot of guests. Hashtag and, blessed. But um, it's usually one, sometimes two. You'll hear uh, Chance the Rapper. Um, Snaps. Stevie Wonder. Snaps. Mahershala Ali. Snaps. <laughs> Linda Salsour. Snaps. Hill Harper. Uh, Jose Parla. The painter, yeah, sculptor, yeah, run um, the jewels, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eddie Wong, Eddie Wong, uh, oh, restaurateur, author, yeah, yeah, yeah. writer, producer of hit TV show, wearer of fine fake furs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're fake. So you guys booked some heavy hitters. Was this just like y'all going through your contact list, being like, "Hey, friend, come on this show," because <laughs> uh, nah. y'all kind of know everybody. I mean, it's been helpful that these artists they know who we are. 
Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, we yeah. don't always assume that. I would say more than helpful. I mean, that's really been that's the key. It's been the charm, um, and so I think when they've been hit up, they realize that our show in the '90s really had a profound impact yeah. beyond just the hip hop world. Yeah. And, and so they, I think they they sense that us treading this new water with NPR and it being the trusted source for news that it is, it will lend to it potentially being super powerful as well. And we And that's what we hope. Yeah. So, like, you guys have a history in radio. You've been doing this for a while. You had a... So your show in the 90s, it was, like, from 1 to 5 a.m.? It was the graveyard What shift. even? Yeah, it was, it was rough. Like, listen, how rough hey, was it? Listen, you know, back then, you know, hip-hop was... In 90, when we got on the radio, hip-hop was not the mainstream cultural yeah. phenomenon. What they just... There was some announcement. I don't know. Was it the recording industry of America just said that... Hip hop and R and B has overtaken rock music as the dominant music form commercially yeah. in the United States. This is just yesterday, so go back to ninety. It wasn't like that, right? Mm-hmm. It was, uh, it was more on the fringe. It was underground and often not respected. So if you were part of a, a radio station that had an eclectic mix of music, yeah, the hip hop would be overnight. Okay, it wasn't going to be on in the day, <laughs> in the daytime. But yeah. Well, the stuff that you were playing wouldn't could have been on. But th- that was anyway. to our benefit. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't yeah. we couldn't do our show in the daytime, so it worked out great because okay. we had safe harbor rules. I was able to play curses. Huh. Well, um, sa- and- explain safe harbor for the FCC. Yes, and so it allowed us to play curses. Okay, and it and- allowed MCs to come up and not censor themselves. Yeah, there was a sense of freedom, yeah. which really gave our show. I, I would say um, an advantage yeah. to, to other shows, and, and not just can... and not just foul language. I mean, a sense of freedom f- for creativity. Yeah. Period. And it was a really creative show. I mean, like you guys were doing a lot. You were playing music. You were talking to MCs. You were having people just call in, and it was like, what was the feel of that? You were kind of doing a lot, which sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was. was um, there, there was no um, there was no structure. And that's great because when you're operating from at one, two, three, four, five in the morning, sometimes structure <laughs> won't really feel so good. Yeah. So we were able to improvise and do whatever whatever our energy level mm-hmm. allowed us to do. Mm-hmm. If we were like super amped, we'd take more mic breaks and if there were a lot of guests, you know, we'd engage with them. Sometimes, you know, Bob would just let me play three and a half hours of music and then we would talk talk minimally. <laughs> Sometimes I was too tired to play music at 4 a.m. So we would take live call, phone calls for an hour yeah. at the end of the show. That's risky. It is. At 4 a.m. <laughs> it is. What kind of people call at 4 a.m.? Uh, we had some, we had, you know, bizarre. lunatics, lunatics. Okay. Okay. A lot lunatic, of bizarre. Hip-hop lunatics. <laughs> Without giving too much away, mm-hmm. talk about a crazy moment or question or answer that people are going to hear when they listen to these episodes of your show. I think uh, Mahershala Ali doing oh spoken God. word over a house music <laughs> what record? Yeah. So who we picked ha- the record? So you, well, you Bobby, play but, music, but yeah. we have a we have a segment at yeah. the end of the show called the impression session because mm-hmm. we even though this wasn't going to be a music show, we wanted to have yeah at least a, a, some sort of musical element. So yeah. each of us picks a song, plays it, and then whatever response uh, our guest has, they're free to say whatever they want. And it's a cool it. way of having sort of a spontaneous, yeah. intimate conversation yeah. about music or wherever the conversation from that music goes. Um, Bob selected a, uh, a house music song. What song? Mm-hmm. Uh, Fefe Iku. Um... <laughs> Listen to me say, a house music song. <laughs> Who am I? Who have, what has NPR turned me into? <laughs> a house music song. <laughs> What? I mean, when I said that, were you like, what's a house, a house music, music song? song. Yeah. 
Bob put uh, on a house track. Yeah, uh, yes. produced by Oshun Lade. Okay, and with a spoken word piece by <laughs> uh-huh. a very talented artist by the name of Ovius Maximus. Mm-hmm. But the song is incredible. It was a a joint. Yeah, in the house world, which and the the, the thing I love about house music is that it really hasn't permeated the radio airwaves. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you know sometimes like you go to a club and you're like, oh my god, I've heard this record. A thousand times. Club music, for the most part, you're not going to hear it outside of that context. And so it always sounds fresh. A song could be three years old and you go to house music. Or it's, you know, DJs like me and Stretch, we play multiple genres. So Mm -hmm. we might play some soul, we might play some dance, Mm -hmm. we might play some house. And so, yeah, he just took to it and he loves house music. Okay. And he loves spoken word and he just... He got very goofy with us, well, which was but, completely unexpected. Yeah. We don't want to tell you much more. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, all right. Right. What was funny about it was that, you know, when we're playing these tracks, we haven't done the edit of the show yet. Yeah. So Bob's playing, it's a 12-inch, so, you know, the... It's long. It starts with the drums and, like, one percussion instrument comes in <laughs> and, and then, like, like, a shaker comes in. <laughs> and it's building up the way a, a, a yeah, club yeah, track yeah. does. Yeah, And the spoken word part, which is the... Which is the the, the essence of, yeah. of what Bob wants to share with Mahershala yeah. because of Mahershala's history and spoken word. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't come in until yeah. like two <laughs> minutes in. So just while this house it. track, is, <laughs> this this four four beat is playing, Mahershala just starts doing I love this it. like love rap. He's like, "Hey girl," <laughs> it was like, it was like hip house. Hip house. I love it. Love rap. It's ridiculous. Who would expect it. Mahershala Ali to do a spontaneous hip house? Song. A hip house song. Yeah. A hip house song. <laughs> so when I found out that the show was happening, I was like, oh, this is really, really cool because in my mind, you guys fit totally into the NPR aesthetic because when I think of you and the fun that you two have together and whenever I hang out with you guys briefly, you're laughing and you're having fun. <laughs> you remind me of like hip hop car talk. Like, they weren't afraid to laugh. They weren't afraid to be really, really present and just yuck it up. And, like, it's so nice to hear radio and hear a podcast where the host love to have fun. And they have fun having fun. And, like, that energy, it's present as soon as you press play on the first episode. Thank you. And that's good. That's so good. Without without, uh, getting too sappy, you know, Bob and I have both done a lot of things outside of the stretch and Bobito. yeah brand um we've had you know long successful careers doing different things but there's something really magical about having an old dear friend that you can actually work with yeah and and, and who knows and create you. new opportunities yeah. and explore stories the way we are right now and and laugh along the way i mean i making our film was um was some of the most fun like the that film. i've had our film stretch and bobito radio that changed lives which is available via Netflix and Showtime currently. Watch it now. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Oh, yeah. Up until making that film, I thought doing the radio was the most fun I'd ever had working. Huh. But mm. the, film the film was, was just as fun, and doing this show is has been, it's, it's, it's a blast. Love right? you, Bob. Yeah, I love you, too. <laughs> I, think, I think the interesting thing, thing, too, is that doing the Q&As mm-hmm. for our film mm-hmm was a nice stepping stone into doing this. Mm. It's interesting. Like, you know, back in 2010, Stretch and I decided to do a 20th anniversary radio broadcast at WKCR where we started. Yeah, yeah. Uh, FM in New York City on Columbia University's campus. And 
the moment the mic went on, <laughs> yeah. it was like we had never stopped doing really? the show. It was just. It was how does like, that feel? It was like 1990. It wasn't even like 1996. <laughs> it was like 1992. Yeah. Th- did that weird you again. out? Like having no, a no, it was, no. It was, it was so a natural. Thrill. It was. Yeah. It was incredible. It was had, jubilant. That night was okay. magic. Magic. I love it. And so, so my point is that. We did radio together for eight years. We've done all these other projects together. Yeah. We've all these, done these projects apart from each other as well. Mm-hmm. But whenever we get on the mic, there's just just this just magic. I, 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 it's not the right. It's not the right word, but we'll take that. Uh, well, no, we're, let's, it's just it's just well, let's a, think com- the right word. There's a comfort there. There's a, okay. There's yeah. a comfort zone. I think zone. magic is good because magic is you, you can't explain it. You can't explain uh, you don't know it. What, yeah. you, if, well, no, David Blaine, you can explain it. Magic. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm sorry, you can't explain magic, but. Uh, before it's a miracle, is what it is. You can't explain <laughs> old magic, old magic, <laughs> old magic, pre-science magic. Yeah, okay, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before okay. we knew that, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. this is just yeah. all right. Pre-science magic. I'm gonna just call it miraculous. Yeah. This is miraculous. So glad to have y'all in the family. Thank well, you. This is good. We hope to stay here for a long time. Yeah, you better. We hope so. Yeah. Thank you guys. Peace. All right. Thanks to Stretch and Babido for stopping by. Their new podcast is called What's Good. It's really good. Check it out now. They'll have Stevie Wonder on the show this Wednesday, August 30th. Don't miss it. And again, Tuesday morning, check out my conversation with Brian Knappenberger and David Folkenflik. That's a wrap for real this time. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.